Hi everyone, uh, it is almost 10 o'clock, it's just a, about a minute to go before 10 and we are going live to have our Sunday service from my office at home once again. Uh, it feels like we have just recently experienced this exact same thing. In fact, we have just experienced this very same thing here in just the last few weeks. So in the last three weeks, we've had a, a snow day that almost snowed, it out, snowed us out, but didn't quite snow us out. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually did have a snow day uh, that snowed us out and wound up canceling our service. Uh, this morning, uh, I was up at 5, uh, 15, 5.30, which I always am on Sunday morning. And uh, there was a little bit of concern, but we thought, oh, we'll probably still be able to have the service. And uh, we sort of discovered as the next hour went by uh, that roads were absolutely horrible. Uh, some of you may have seen uh, some pictures and maybe a little bit of video of the interstate uh, I-57 between Centralia and Dix. Horrible, horrible accidents out there. And uh, we just always are so concerned that uh, there are always... Uh, committed churchgoers and Christ followers who, hey, if the doors are open, I'm going to be there. And uh, sometimes it's just dangerous. And so uh, we had conferences between staff and between uh, our deacon uh, leadership team as well. And we just felt like it just wasn't uh, worth the risk to the majority of our church family. So here we are. We're doing uh, yet another Facebook live video. And so in that regard, I hate missing church. I don't know about you, but I hate missing church. It's it's my favorite morning of the week. It's my favorite day of the week where we get to gather and be with our, our friends and, and family and loved ones uh, within our, our church family. But uh, on days like this, I am thankful uh, that we have technology uh, like this so we can gather uh, sort of uh, li live, if you will, uh, to be able to say good morning to each other and uh, that we can share uh, our message for today. Uh, now, obviously, when uh, we're trying to do something like this, last time we did this, we shared a, a kind of our um, Sunday sync, uh, Sunday school lesson, if you will, and it was interactive back and forth. Uh, this morning, we're actually going to do the message. I'm going to share the message, um, and hopefully you will... Uh, gain value from it, but it won't be quite the same as it is in the service uh, in uh, in person. Uh, but I, I pray that God will uh, allow you to process what we're going to share this morning and that it will stick and that it will be transformative for you. So whether you're at uh, Orchardville Church, whether you're one of our regular attenders, or whether you're just stuck, uh, you live somewhere in Southern Illinois, or, or maybe anywhere at all, you could be anywhere in the country, uh, but you're stuck at home this morning, and you're tuning in and, and to see what we have to share, and, and I just want to say thank you uh, for doing that, and, uh, and I pray that you're blessed this morning. So... If you've ever watched one of my, my messages, uh, you will probably know that I am um, I'm a mover. I'm, I'm not a sitter. I'm a mover. <laughs> so this is going to be a little weird for me because I'm going to be doing, I'm just sitting. So kind of considering a, a little bit of a fireside chat um, this morning without the fire. 
uh, and without the fireside. But we're going to do the best that we can. And this morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, with part four of a series of messages that we began several weeks ago called No Perfect People Allowed. And I think that's important because a lot of the world looks at the church and the people in the church as that's a place where people go when when they have their act all together or um, I can't go there because I won't fit in. And it's nothing could be further from the truth because the place, the, the church is absolutely positively a place for no perfect people. And so we're going to dive into another sort of uh, session of that this morning, another uh, way to look at no perfect people allowed and uh, continue this journey together. But I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, the blessing of the technology that we have. And uh, God, in spite of the fact that we are missing uh, our gathering this morning, uh, live and in person, I pray that uh, through this medium of technology and through Facebook Live this morning that you'll be able to encourage uh, people both uh, that are part of our church each week and and God maybe even people who are not part uh, of our church on a regular basis. Uh, So speak uh, through your word this morning and may we all hear with open ears and open hearts in Jesus name. Amen. So uh, I want to thank all of you that are on uh, on the video with us and I, I pray that as we go more people will join um, keep sharing the link uh, if you have the ability. I will also try to share a few things uh, on in the comments section as we go that I think may uh, prove to be helpful. So with all that being said, uh, we've kind of given enough time for people to gather a little bit, so I'm going to dive into the message. And in doing that, I want to start by talking a little bit about um, kind of human nature. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, I genuinely, and maybe you did too, I genuinely thought that by the time I was 30, 30 years old, I'd be a millionaire. I mean, that was, that was just sort of my honest-to-goodness, genuine, real-life uh, expectation of what my life would be like. And, uh, I mean, if, if you had that thought, just give a thumbs up in the comments section that, yeah, you know what, I thought... I thought that was going to be my life. I was going to, I was going to make it big. I was going to have lots of, of, of things and stuff. I'd have lots of money. I would achieve everything that I wanted to. And uh, that, was, that was my mindset. Well, uh, as I got to thinking about how that sort of was the truth for me, and, and I believe it's the truth for a lot of other people as well, uh, I was kind of picturing what actually happens. And, and I had two old uh, uh, TV shows that I thought made a, a pretty good picture uh, of, of the, what I was thinking and what actually happened. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the old show called Love Boat. Uh, Captain Steubing and his crew is a beautiful cruise ship. And uh, on, this, on the Love Boat, everybody would always meet the, the woman or the man of their dreams. It, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, they went to beautiful places. They met beautiful people. Life was beautiful. Everything worked out uh, in picture book fashion. And I think that's the way a lot of us kind of start our journey in life is, is we, we sort of have this love boat picture in our mind of, of how everything is going to go. 
but most of us don't end up with a love boat story. We end up looking a whole lot more like the SSS Minnow uh, of uh, Gilligan's Island and the skipper of Gilligan, <laughs> shipwrecked on a deserted island with no hope. And it's incredible how so many of us go from this idea of how everything is going to go absolutely picture perfect and we're going to achieve everything we ever wanted to to this place where life becomes uh, mostly how did that happen and I wanted to share a verse from Ecclesiastes from Solomon uh, in chapter 2 and um, it, Solomon in chapter 2 he, he began uh, pursuing all sorts of things that he thought would bring satisfaction and after he sort of went through a whole series of different pursuits, um, he came to this statement in Ecclesiastes 2.17. He says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Solomon says, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. It, it's like chasing the wind. Here, here you have maybe one of the richest men in all of human history uh, who was also wise, who began chasing a bunch of other uh, pursuits, a bunch of other things that would bring him some measure of satisfaction. And when he gets through doing all of that, he goes, everything's meaningless. It's, it's like chasing the wind. I don't know if you've ever tried to chase the wind, but it's sort of a fruitless endeavor. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to uh, share right now. Um, uh, I'm going to try to refresh my feed on Facebook so I can catch uh, the, the video actually streaming. And uh, if I can do that, I want to share a couple of... Uh, here we go. All right. So I am posting right now a couple of uh, quotes from C.S. Lewis. Many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, was once upon a time, he was a, an atheist and became an incredibly uh, profound and devout follower of Christ. And he made two statements which are very similar to what Solomon said. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Other than God, which will make him happy. Another quote is that God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So here's C.S. Lewis, who is basically agreeing with Solomon from Ecclesiastes 2.17 that says, you know, human history is littered with people who are trying to look for some sense of satisfaction outside of God, and they never find it. And you you won't because there is no such thing outside of God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed recently, but there are a lot of unhappy, angry, and disillusioned people out there. I mean, if you read Facebook or you read the news or you watch the news or you engage in almost any conversation, there are a lot of people who are far from happy. There's nothing in their life that feels like it's satisfying. And people need hope. They, they need 
they need a sense that it's going to get better than this. I mean, they probably started out thinking Love Boat and Captain Steubing, but now they feel like Skipper and Gilligan shipwrecked on a deserted island and realizing that C.S. Lewis was absolutely right. They're, they're just, they cannot find anything that is bringing any sense of satisfaction and they wish that life could just get better. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. You will hear me quote on many occasions, um, John 10, 10, where Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. I share that verse all the time because I think it is one of the most profound disconnects in the Christian life is that Jesus said that he came to give something that almost none of us are actually experiencing. And I think that's scary. Dallas Willard, um, let me see if I can uh, copy and paste this one uh, quickly. I think I can, so here we go. I'll paste this. Dallas Willard uh, made this statement. He's a Christian author. He said, How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way of Christ by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied. And yet, such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness of God's loving rule. And then he makes another really profound, interesting statement. He said, spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Now, a lot of you understand what he's saying. Because somehow, we've turned the life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. 10. We've turned the life that only God can give through Jesus into something wholly undesirable for far too many people. How has this happened? Well, ask yourself in your own journey with Christ, with Jesus, has it really been good news in your own life? Has it, has it been something so good that you're constantly telling people how good Jesus is? Has it been something so good that you can't wait to, to get, sing the praise of Jesus to somebody else in your life? Or have you been more like the person that Dallas Willard just described in that quote that I read to you? Maybe quite a few of you may identify this morning with one of the great modern thinkers and philosophers of our time. His name is Bono. And a few years back, he wrote something that went like this. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields. Only to be with you. I've run. I've crawled. I've scaled these city walls. Only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. See, everybody's looking for something. And it seems like fewer and fewer people 
are finding it. And they're looking for hope in all sorts of places that life can be better than what they're experiencing. But here's the scary part. They're not looking at Jesus for that. Because they've seen too many Christians and they've seen too many churches that say, we follow this, this God that we call Jesus. And their life doesn't look inviting. It doesn't look compelling. It doesn't look like something anybody else wants. And so the people that are looking for some answer, some clue, something that they still haven't been able to find yet, they're not looking at Jesus. They're looking elsewhere. But more and more, where they wind up is they're finding something that they didn't start out looking for at all. And in probably, they're finding this in surprising numbers in the church as well. They're finding addictions. Now, let me just stop and say this. The addicts and church are just two words that don't seem to go together. But ultimately... This is who Jesus said the church was for. Because it's our mission to tell them that Jesus really is the only answer to their questions. And he is. But even though Jesus is the answer, it doesn't mean that everyone is living in the victory and in the freedom that he provides. Too, too often people get saved. And here, here's what happens. They think that life is going to be wonderful now that they know Jesus. But the struggles that we face before we come to Christ come right along with us into that new relationship. And when things don't change as quickly or as significantly as we think they should as a new believer, then here's what happens. New believers will often disappear and they'll just go back to looking for something that will make them happy. They thought it might be Jesus, but that didn't seem to, to work out the way that they either thought it would or some, or maybe somebody told them that it would be like, you know, rudging, you know, rubbing a magic lamp and all of a sudden everything would be hunky dory and all wonderful. And, and when it didn't become that, they get, they get disillusioned with Jesus and they go back to looking for something else, or they go back to their addictions that existed before Jesus. On top of that, I think sometimes Christians who are living a very stale uh, kind of faith, like Dallas Willard described, they decide to take advantage of their freedom in Christ to start enjoying life. And that becomes a very dangerous exercise. I'm going to read to you another passage of Scripture uh, also from the New Living Translation this morning. And uh, this is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 12. Uh, he said, You say I'm allowed to do anything because these were Christians who were talking about the freedom that they have in Christ. They're not under the law anymore. So they've got this freedom. So he says, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. He says that because that, that, will, um, that will become your new master. Whatever you allow yourself to become a slave to, that will become your new master, and it will replace 
the position and the priority of God in your life. And so Paul is saying, hey, you might have freedom, but just because you have freedom doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And when you allow yourself to, to sort of pursue things that might you might have freedom, it could turn out very badly because you could wind up becoming a slave to something that replaces God in your life and there's nowhere to go from there but down. You may or may not be aware of it, but there are staggering numbers of people who struggle with addictions today to alcohol, to pornography, to tobacco, to spending, they just got to spend money, to sex, to eating, to working, um, to dieting, to gambling, all of this to escape the pain of brokenness. But you have to hear me on this. If If you're a Christian or a Christ follower, You have to understand, just telling somebody that it's wrong or that it's immoral, it will not set them free. So that's what this whole sermon series is about, is that we have to create a right culture within the church that God is is calling people to share the gospel in and through. We have to create a right culture in that place for healing to come to the people who are dealing with such addictions. Uh, there's a doctor by the name of uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, and he notes that at the core, most addictions are fed by a cycle of shame. Let me see if I can uh, grab this quote real quick and, uh, and share it with you also to the Facebook page in the comment section uh, so that you can sort of see it and, uh, and refer to it. All right, he says that shame can be defined as feeling that there's, there's something unacceptable about me at the core, and yet still possessing a drive to do it right and to prove that I'm acceptable. So here, here's, what's, here's what he's saying, is somebody has this mindset that they, they, just feel, they just feel so unacceptable to the world, to the people in, in their sphere of influence, and yet there's something in them at the same time that wants to do it right. They want to prove that they're acceptable, but here's, here's the problem with that. Nobody can effectively live that out in their own power, and so what happens is the shame and the pain continue to grow because they can't make it work on their own. And then shame leads to isolation and then disconnectedness, which only adds to the pain. And so once again, you sort of repeat this cycle. The pain creates isolation and disconnectedness. That leads to more uh, addiction. And so this addict starts to live in a world where the wheels on the bus, they just go round and round and round and they just can't seem to get off of it. And if you're a person who has ever dealt with somebody in this addictive cycle, if you try to speak to them, uh, what they hear more often than not is not not that you're trying to help them. They hear disappointment and they hear rejection and they feel that shame all over again and it starts leading to feeling worthless. People who struggle with addictive behaviors usually find it very hard to admit that they're wrong and that they need help because to them 
admitting that they're wrong and they need help. It's like them saying that they're unacceptable. And they, they want to prove that they're acceptable. And so does to admit that they're wrong would be like completely counterproductive to what they, the need is inside their own heart and their own spirit. And so healing and surrender to the power of God in their life will usually often only become when the pain becomes really, really intense, kind of like the, the prodigal son. Now, a lot of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. He had done almost everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. And when he finally got to that intense pain portion of his life, and when he decided to move toward home, Here's what happened. He didn't get lectures. He didn't get disapproving looks. He got a father that ran to him to meet him and wrapped his arms around him and expressed love. And that is the picture that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, have to provide to people that, of, of what they can expect when they start to move toward the father that even before they get there all the way, they're going to be loved, they're going to be uh, encouraged, they're going to be accepted, and they're going to be greeted and welcomed with open arms. Now, I want to talk very quickly about two leading addictions that we will run into as a church. Uh, I'm specifically speaking to Orchardville Church this morning, but you may be attending another church, and if your church uh, wants to adopt the same sort of culture, you're going to run into these same sort of things too. If we're truly going to be a church uh, where imperfect people feel like they can walk in and be loved and accepted, we're going to run into two very recurring addic types of addictions. Substance abuse and sexual addictions. All right? So, I'm going to cut and paste uh, a couple of um, statistics here about substance abuse so that you can see these and reference these. All right, they're, they're in the comment section now. These figures are from 2002, which only means that they're probably worse today, right now, than they were when these figures were released. According to figures from 2002, 9.4% of people that are aged 12 or older have some sort of substance abuse problems. Does that not just blow your mind? Age 12 and up, almost 10%, 1 out of 10 from beginning from age 12 are going to have some sort of substance abuse problem. And that percentage uh, of... Uh, it, it, is almost double when you get into the 20-something age range. It's, it's nearly 20% of 20-somethings are going to be dealing with some sort of a substance addiction. So in other words, if, if we want to become a church that is living like Jesus, that is reaching the sinners, those who are in need of a physician, which is who Jesus said he came to reach, then that means that almost one in five of the people that walk through our door is going to be dealing with some sort of alcohol or drug dependency. One out of five. Cocaine use has gone from 1% in the 1960s to 15% in 2002, and I think it's higher still today. 
almost one in four, 25% of, of young adults have used a, a, a hallucinogen like uh, ecstasy. It's just, it is mind-boggling to think what we're dealing with. Now, some of you who are watching this video and, and you live in Southern Illinois, you might be thinking to yourself, there's no way. I mean, those numbers are shocking to you. Some others are like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. But if you live in Southern Illinois, you might be thinking to yourself, that's, those cities might be true in a city, but it's, it's not true here in, the, in a rural area like Southern Illinois. But don't kid yourself. It is absolutely right here in Southern Illinois, and it's a serious problem. And these are the very people, these are the very situations that Jesus reached out to. And so the church can and should be a starting point for recovery if we create a safe environment where people can admit brokenness, this is important, without feeling shame. Where they can admit brokenness without feeling shamed, by those of us who are already in the church. You understand what I'm saying? We can be that place where those who are struggling can begin the process of recovery, but it's incredibly important that they know that the church is a place where they will not feel shame and they won't feel shamed by the people who are there. One other of our serious serious uh, addiction problems that we're going to encounter is that of sexual addictions. Substance abuse is going to be one. Sexual addictions is going to be the other. I'm going to read uh, a portion of a letter from a man who wrote about um, his struggle with pornography. And here's what he said. It was 5.20 in the afternoon and I was still at my desk. I knew I was supposed to be home and I would have a price to pay but I had to look at one more picture. I knew the next image would be the perfect one. The one that really let the endorphins flow. I've been saying this to myself for the last half hour. What was I doing looking at pornography at work? I had a great job as an engineer, and I could lose everything if I got caught, but it didn't matter. All that mattered was the adrenaline rush of the lust. The risk only increased the excitement. The addiction brought powerful shame, which made the highs really high and the lows really low. The only guarantee that it brought was the internal isolation and the promise that I'd do it again. We almost all know that pornography is a growing and destructive problem. Let me, let me share some statistics on pornography. Once again, I'm going to go to my notes, and I want to cut and paste these here for you just so that you can uh, really grasp the um, scope of what we're talking about. So I'm going to read 10 really incredible statistics about pornography. 
Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. There are around 42 million porn websites. This one is absolutely mind-boggling to me. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. All three of our primary major sports combined have less uh, income revenue generated than pornography. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. You want to you have a healthy marriage? Then chances are you fix this problem and you fix the challenges in the marriage. Number six, 11, 11, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. That's almost 100% of all of our children will be exposed to pornography by the tender age of only 14. 56% of American divorces involve having one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for pornography use. They have to understand that we're talking about people in the church. When pastors are sharing that 60% uh, 60, 60 of pastors are saying that men are, are coming to them for help, that's men in the church. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch pornography. So if you're, if you're sitting there thinking that this is a problem for the men in our church or the children in our church, don't kid yourself. This is a problem for the women in our church and in our culture too. 87% of Christian women have said that they have watched pornography. And last, 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch pornography at least once a month. If those numbers don't frighten you, then you're not paying attention. And chances are, with the incredible expansion and the reach of pornography, those numbers will just continue to get worse. Let me share with you just a few other numbers on this uh, for your consideration. Every second, literally every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography every second of every minute of every hour. Every second, there are almost 30,000 internet users viewing pornography and every second, uh, there are almost 400 users typing adult search uh, terms into search engines. And every 39 minutes, 
there is a new video that is being produced for pornographic purposes in the United States. That's how much we're churning out pornography, which is destroying the fabric of our culture, and it is also invading the fabric of our churches. The number of people that are addicted to substances and pornography are multiplying faster than we can even comprehend. And historically, those are the very people that the church shames and rejects. Hear me, especially those of you who are regular church members at Orchardville Church, and I encourage you wherever you are, but especially for those of you at Orchardville, we cannot do that anymore. We can no longer be a church that shames or rejects people who are dealing with these issues. Here's something that we need to understand about people with addictive behaviors. Most addicts want to medicate an unwanted feeling. And according to research, 81% of sex addicts were sexually abused in the past. And 97% experienced emotional abuse while growing up. Now hear me clearly when I say this. That does not take away their responsibility for their actions. It does not. But in many cases, they are driven by unresolved relational pain. And because they can't tolerate those painful emotional feelings, they try to escape those feelings through sexual activity or through some other substance. And research has shown that sexual activity and fantasy just like substance abuse, physically alters the brain chemistry. Now, we, we get that when it comes to substance abuse, and we understand that addiction, that hook of addiction from substance abuse. But the same thing, thing is true uh, with sexual activity and fantasies. There is a brain chemical, and there's, there's, a, there's an alteration that goes on in the hardwiring of our brain and it makes those who are dealing with it, it makes them feel better. And when they're dealing with pain, what they want is a way to not feel the pain anymore. And so they just keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again. And so one of the things that we need to do in church is to help people understand that the thing that they're really looking for whether it's whether it's a healthy relationship or a life with purpose and contentment, it all starts and it's ultimately grounded in Christ. It's like Solomon said, it's like chasing the wind. All of those things that they're looking for, trying to find some relief from the pain, some sense of satisfaction, some, some uh, uh, relief from all of the brokenness in their life, it is chasing the wind. None of those things are ever going to do it, but it's the only thing that even brings some temporary fulfillment. And we have to help them see that the only thing that is ultimately going to do it begins and is grounded in Jesus Christ. And so we, as believers, we as a church, we have to become a place where people struggling in these areas can feel safe to talk about their struggles and to know that they're loved, and to know that we will stand with each other 
through the hard process of working toward wholeness in Christ. If you're part of, of Orchardville Church, that's that's part of the reason that our new Sunday sync ministry at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings is so important. It's because that's where connectedness happens. Wherever you are, if you're in a Sunday morning service, that's worship as a, as a group, as the body of Christ. And, and it is encouraging. It's uplifting. Sometimes it's admonishing. We need, we need to have our sins challenged. But in a group setting is where we begin to work out our faith. It's where we can build connections. It's where people who are struggling with addictions can find the courage and, and the ability to start finding the freedom that Jesus promised in John 10, 10. And when we become that place as a church, hear me on this, it will become difficult to keep people away. You know why I can say that? Because crowds followed Jesus. Crowds followed Jesus. Because they sensed that he was offering life without condemnation. Freedom from whatever source of bondage that they had been dealing with. And he offered unconditional love. And because of that, he always had a crowd. And when we can do that at church, that's a place where no perfect people are not only welcome... It's where they can't wait to come. And that's what we all desperately need. My prayer for Orchardville Church, my prayer for all of our churches, is that we will become a place that stands on the Word of God. We make no apologies for the Word of God. But we exercise the heart of Jesus by offering condemnation, life without condemnation, freedom from whatever source of bondage that people are dealing with, and unconditional love. Then and only then will they start to find the answers that they need in Jesus. Pray you're encouraged this morning. I pray that you will join uh, me as we work toward becoming believers at an individual level and churches at a corporate level uh, that embrace this kind of thinking and this kind of life. It's the kind of life where we can actually begin to see uh, a revival in the life of our country, and we desperately need it. Uh, let me close our time together in a word of prayer, uh, and I pray for safety for all of us. So join me in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you that when we were unlovable, you loved us. When we were unworthy, you considered us worthy. God, you've always pursued us. At our very worst, God, You've always loved us beyond our ability to love ourselves. And so I pray that for each one of us this morning that we will embrace that love at a personal level. God, if there's anyone that is watching this, this webcast, this video, that uh, is still struggling and they haven't found any answers, God, I pray that uh, they will surrender themselves to Jesus Christ right now. That they will invite Christ into their life to be their Lord and their Savior once and for all. If that's you, let me lead you in a, in a, in a prayer right now. And, and it's a simple prayer of confession and repentance and acceptance of Jesus. And, and it goes something like this. You don't have to pray the exact words, but just pray with me something that goes like this. Dear Lord, I know my life is not perfect. I'm a sinner. 
And God, I've been looking for all sorts of answers, but my life has never looked like I wanted it to look. I do feel like what Solomon described in Ecclesiastes, I feel like I'm chasing the wind. So God, this morning, I want to ask you to come into my life, forgive my sin, and rescue me. Lord, help me to find life. Help me to find meaning and purpose. God, I want to walk with you. I don't know what all that looks like right now, but help me. Help me to begin that journey today. God, save me. I give myself to you. And for those of you who are watching and and you're a part of a church and you're a Christian, but you just haven't found that John 10.10 life, and so you're still looking to, even though you know you've given your life to Christ, then I pray right now that God will help you to be that prodigal son that begins to work your way back this morning to God. He will come running. He will meet you there. And I pray that you will find a church wherever you are that will also reflect the love of Jesus to you and that will open their arms to you and will love you where you are and help you journey each day a little closer toward God. Lord, for every person who's been on this webcast and for every person who watches this video, I pray your blessing in their life. I pray your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who've been watching, hey, if you just prayed and invited Christ into your life this morning, uh, share that with me. You can, you can private message us at the church uh, here on, on this Facebook page, or you can just post it and we'll celebrate with you. But we'll help you get started. Uh, if you don't live here, we'll help you find a church near you. It's important that you get connected. Disconnectedness is how all of these life problems happen. So for those of you who are part of Orchardville, please stay safe today. Stay inside. Uh, it's a bad day on the roads. Some of you have seen different videos out there. So be with your family. Celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, and uh, can't wait to see you uh, either this Wednesday night at Orchardville or at least uh, next Sunday. Be blessed. Have a safe and wonderful day. Thanks so much for joining us.